0: But the big idea is churches need to start with the understanding that serving in my church is a privilege, not a right.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Law & Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, Managing Attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, I'm so excited about your interview today with Gregory Love. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that interview that you did.
2: You know, one of the Bible verses that has just been a... uh, kind of a staple for me personally, as we've gone into helping churches uh, with their legal needs and and responding to some of the the issues that they face, is Nehemiah 2.17, and here's what it says. It says, so I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. Ladies and gentlemen, we're there. Brian, we're there uh, as the church. We're vulnerable. The walls have been broken down. And when we talk to uh, Gregory Love here in just a minute, you're going to hear his discussion about building a fence and needing to build the right kind of fence. Uh, And so it's very, very important that we talk about that because we are vulnerable. Uh, We we are in a position where uh, the church is um, just not Consistently handling sexual abuse and child abuse in the church well, um, and we've got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild those walls, not with spackle. Um, you know, you know. A lot of times when we we want to repair a wall, we just think, well, I'll just throw a little spackle on there. You know, I can stick a little piece of paper behind there, and that'll be enough for me to spackle over. No, we can't do that. We've got to do some major reconstruction. We're going to have to tear some stuff down. We're going to have to tear some some old practices down. We're going to have to tear some pride down about people saying, well, I've, I've been going to this church for 50 years and and never had to do a background check. Nope, that's got to come down. We've got to tear all of that out. Uh, that stuff is rotting. Uh, it, it's causing more damage. Uh, We're going to have to create new systems and new processes to make sure that we're training on the right things. Uh, And and we're going to see today that we're not asking the right questions. We're not necessarily training on the right things when we talk about protecting children. So all of that stuff has to come down, and we've got to get serious about rebuilding. And there's a very good reason why we've got to do that. We need as a church to be winsome for Christ. Right now, the lost world looks at the church and they grimace at some of the things that happen in the church. And we've got to put ourselves in a position where we take the next step to make sure we are protecting our children. Uh, you know, in one of the courts uh, court cases that we dealt with last week, um, you know, the courts didn't protect one Uh, of these victims, of these child victims. Uh, And so we can't sit back and say, oh, well, the government will take care of it. The government will deal with it. No, we've got to be in a position where we're the first line of defense, where we are protecting children, where we are protecting the vulnerable who come to our churches and uh, who we're supposed to be ministering to. Uh, And so in order for us to be winsome and to uh, attract the world to Christ, we've got to be a people who responds to sin into these atrocities appropriately and takes steps to keep it from happening in our churches. Absolutely, it's such an important topic. And
1: like you said, uh, protecting the least of these—I mean, these are these are the ones that have been entrusted to us. We have to make sure that we are doing our due diligence in this in this area. So, That's right. um, I'm excited to get into this interview. So let's go ahead and jump in right now. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, we are very excited to have Gregory Love with us today. Uh, And Gregory, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Great to be here. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, Gregory, uh, you've been at uh, Ministry Safe for a while now doing all sorts of stuff to help uh, churches deal with this issue of um, abuse in the church and things that happened there. And so we wanted to spend some time uh, over the course of a couple of episodes of uh, the Law and Church podcast and just visit with you about some of the things that you do. So let me just ask you first, what does it mean to be a sexual abuse lawyer and and what is Ministry Safe and how do those two work together
0: to uh, help churches? Okay, being a sexual abuse lawyer is kind of a, it's a crazy title because you know as well as I do, there's all kinds of different types of lawyers And so when people ask you what type of lawyer are you, if you'd asked me in law school, hey, do you want to grow up and be a sexual abuse lawyer? You know as well as I do, there's no such thing in the 80s as a sexual abuse lawyer. Right. So based on some of the work that we were doing in the early 90s involving the representation of victims of sexual abuse, just wound up being something we had to dive very deep into in the first case representing, you know, 20 victims out of 49 at this one entity. So we wound up in a deep dive in that, wound up being experts in that, and it broadened to practice at a time when it really wasn't anything anyone's was doing. And it grew into one of those things that as a sexual abuse lawyer, we see a lot of things that go wrong. So just to kind of clear up something that some people think, they think I'm a prosecutor mm-hmm. or that I was in one way or another involved in the criminal process, whether it was prosecuting or defending So you know the difference in what that means. I'm a civil trial lawyer. Mm -hmm. As a civil trial lawyer, I'm dealing with lawsuits. Okay, So as a sexual abuse lawyer, that means I'm litigating, representing victims of sexual abuse is how that began. Now, when some of the patterns that we saw in litigating those on behalf of victims turned into one of those things that if I understand how the train wrecks, I can come alongside organizations and help them prevent the train from wrecking. And then the final piece of what I would say what it means to be a sexual abuse lawyer is is we get an average of five to six phone calls a day from different organizations, mostly ministries, you know, with a multifaceted problem that sometimes it's just a how do I report this issue? You know, sometimes it's all four wheels are off and we're in the ditch and we need guidance, which is a how do I deal with the media? How do I deal with law enforcement? Do I give them the HR file on this youth pastor? How do I deal with my insurance carrier? You know, how do I deal with victims' families or parents asking, is it safe to bring my child back here? So it's usually questions that a lot of ministry leaders don't naturally know how to understand. So yeah. three pieces of being a sexual abuse lawyer, I litigate, I work hard on the prevention side, which is how Ministry Safe grew, and then we do a lot of crisis response work.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we, we hear a lot of the same questions, uh, get calls all the time. Do I need to report this? And, uh, you know, what, what's the standard on on, uh, you know, being a mandated reporter and who's a mandated reporter? And it's uh, it's just unfortunately we just live in that day and age. Uh, I was actually visiting with a, a group of convention leaders this morning uh, just talking about how churches are not ready uh, to, to live in this world where law firms are no, not no longer just popping up to try mass torts. Uh, they're popping up to sue the church now. Uh, and uh, that's, that's a big deal. We got to be ready for it. Um, and, and really, churches are just now kind of starting to wake up to this issue of, hey, we've got a problem in the church and in, in churches in general where we've got sexual abuse that's happening. And you and I know that this is not really a new problem. It's been going on for a while, but it's just now coming to, to light. And so in, in your uh, experience and in your opinion, what what why does this continue to be an issue? Why is this still a problem?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got a view that's different than most ministry leaders, that this isn't a new problem. In fact, one of the watershed trial, you know, verdicts was in 1997, and it was a $119 million you know verdict. And so it's like there was a lot of opportunity to get a wake-up call then. But see, the difficulty that I'm seeing in the church is, it's got a couple of different angles to it the first one is and part of it's not just the church it's just wired into our fabric this is an awful problem and i'd really rather not think about it thank you okay it's it's awful to talk about it's painful sometimes it's been my experience so we really want to have the viewpoint that it's just not my problem it's someone else's problem and i'm here to tell you after 26 years of standing over train wrecks it's everybody's problem it's an hour problem and it's a today problem in fact it was a Yesterday, problem, but there's a hundred reasons why we just weren't prioritizing it yesterday or deciding that it was something we needed to look at. So, as you mentioned, even though it isn't a new problem, it's a new wake up call to a lot of ministries to understand I need to deal with this. Now, for the last 26 years, some ministries are being awakened in a really rude way and with a high human cost. But there's another reason why we continue to see ourselves in the media and continue to have these problems is, and this is, this is, this is more difficult to understand than just a quick, here's the summary statement, it's because people think it's yellow and it's really red. We're, we're doing the wrong things, Josh. Okay. Another way to say that is our efforts don't match the risk. See, we got that wake up call at 9-11 I mean, it's not that we were completely ignorant that there were people that wanted to hurt us. We just didn't understand what it would look like when it unfolded. Yeah. So once we had that rude wake up call and people actually spent the time looking closely at it and realizing, of course, this is what it looks like. And based upon it, what looks like now you've got this entity called Homeland Security that now thinks through all the ways in which somebody with this type of desire might want to bring about harm it's the same kind of principle in child sexual abuse. We're doing these things, A, B, and C, but A, B, and C are not how the risk is going to unfold. So yeah. I guess another way that I would describe that that's part of more instructive is we're building the wrong fence. Let's say, for example, Josh, that you've got this beautiful garden that you want to protect. Okay, and the type of fence you build to protect your garden is driven by what you want to keep out. If you want to keep out your neighbor's cattle, the type of fence you build is probably metal stakes and some barbed wire. But if you build a beautiful barbed wire fence, it's absolutely worthless in keeping the bunnies out of your garden. That fence was never designed to protect the garden from the other risk. So the summary statement as to why this continues to be a problem in the church and why it will continue to be unless the church starts to get it, we're building the wrong fence. Yeah, That's I couldn't. Ag-
2: that. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, one of the things that I tell churches pretty often is that you know they'll ask me why do do I need to have a lawyer on on retainer per se that I can call and ask questions and help me walk through these bylaw issues and policies and processes. And what I tell them uh, is, hey, look at Nehemiah uh, and look at how they needed to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And when we look at the the walls around our Jerusalems. Our churches there there are holes in the wall, uh, and we've got to get in there and patch those up. Our bylaws are outdated, our processes and policies are kind of a mishmash of things and and nobody really knows if something's a process or a policy document or if it's just uh, you know some sort of guideline or training material um, but the defense analogy is is, is very similar to that and that we've got to make sure that those those things we're trying to defend against and we're trying to protect our children and our members from we've got to make sure that we've got the right tools uh, and the right fence to to do that so uh, man that's a great uh, great set of points there uh, you know it seems like the one thing that I hear an awful lot is well we're doing our background checks and we don't need to do any more uh, what, what are your thoughts on that that back uh, just you know a background check is enough
0: Well, first of all, your reference to Nehemiah is more accurate than ever before, because even though the risk hasn't changed, and our children's and youth ministry hasn't changed, our culture has changed, and our culture is angry. Yeah, There are people out there like never before that have an extra stick in their hand to come and do damage to the body, so that we're doing... Church, we're doing ministry, we're building things, but at the same time, we've got to be mindful of the fact that the environment in which we're doing it is different than it was five years ago. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of the background checks, once again, my churches just are not necessarily good consumers. Okay. There's a there's a prevailing view out there. It's like, okay, dang it, there's a risk to our children. We need to do background checks. Or a recent article I saw just recently is, you know, look, like, we need to do deeper background checks or we need to we need to more often refresh our background checks. That'll solve the problem. It's almost like the solution is rooted in a background check. And I'm here to tell you fundamentally that is wrong. Okay, And the reason, no, don't get me wrong. Background checks are important. We must do background checks. And in some of our churches, for example, that have licensed moms day outs and pre-Ks and things like that, they're required by your licensure. But what we need to understand is the fence we build is driven by the facts of how it unfolds and what actually has a value. So the most important piece of information I want churches to let go of or to to put in their thinking is less than 10% of sexual abusers will ever encounter the criminal justice system. Okay. That's if your background check is working at 100% efficiency, and I promise you it is not. Right. So even if the latest study out is less than 4% of sexual abusers will ever encounter the criminal justice system. Meaning, even if Jack Bauer does your searches for you, 95% of the people that are out there that wish to hurt children have nothing for you to find, comma, and they know it. Okay, now, we've got to do the background checks. We just need to soberly understand what the background check does and doesn't give us it is one of your bullets. It is not a silver bullet.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. And even even then the background checks can sometimes be spotty. Uh, I was running a background check on a, uh, a gentleman and, and he was uh, very, he is a very godly gentleman. And he, he came to me and said, Hey, uh, you're, you're going to find something on my background check. And he disclosed it and was very honest and upfront about it. Just Hey, I wanted to let you know we ran the background check and there was nothing there. Uh, and uh, so it, it, you know, especially when you're using some of these private, so, some private companies. I know Ministry Safe is is has kind of positioned itself as the industry leader on this, but you, you got to make sure that you're using a background check company that has the data to do uh, and find the stuff that you're that you're looking for. Uh, and so that's that's certainly very very important. So when we're talking about um, you know, what the, the standard is. Uh, Let's, let's talk about background checks real quick in terms of what type of background check, be it state, be it federal, do we do multi-jurisdiction how deep do these background checks need to go?
0: Now that's a, once again, there's no clean, clear, ah, well you put all your data in and you do my credit score machine and it pops out the perfect answer for you. It's just not that easy. And that's the question though most churches are asking because they just want to know, okay, you've got my attention. What do I do now? Okay. What we have now is a discussion because what I need for you to do is be a better consumer of criminal background checks. Okay. So most people think, well, okay, well, we're going to run yours over this company's because yours is $2 cheaper or whatever. Churches need to understand that a background check, even though we have the best system in the world in the U.S., it's not to be confused with perfect, okay? It's actually not even to be confused with great, right? So we just need to understand when you talk about a background check, it's hard to compare one company to another or one search to another unless you understand a background check is made up of components. So rather than comparing an apple, say, to an orange, you need to understand that a background check is more like a fruit salad, okay? It's gonna be, a collection of fruit or pieces of information that you want from different sources. Okay. Well, if you're interested in, for example, you own a truck driving company, one of the biggest risks there is that people have DUIs, All right, If you're in the construction business, you want to know if, you know, if they're legal to work in the country and you want to know if they have any like assault charges, the bar is generally lower in that industry because they know they're going to get hits. Now, when you're talking about a church, Okay, well, if you're talking about an executive pastor, you want to know they don't have two embezzlement charges and a theft by check. So a criminal background check is your way to gather information. Here's here's how it fits into your screening. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So I want to do some due diligence into your past behavior, your criminal history, your, your interaction with the criminal system, to determine whether or not there is anything about your possible future behavior that I can learn from seeing how you've been interacting with the criminal justice system. So we're on the the topic of sexual abuse. So when I'm running a background check related to sexual abuse, you would understand this as somebody familiar with the legal system, that that is a charge that is prosecuted at the county level. Mm -hmm. Okay, It's not a municipal crime. It's not a federal crime unless it involves child porn distribution or consumption. Okay. It, is a, it is prosecuted at the county level, district attorney. Mm-hmm. What that means is that's where the records are processed. So the best information, for example, is in your county search. All right, That is a piece of fruit in your fruit salad. So the basic what you need to do is do some type of a identification verifier. Okay, sometimes it's called the SSN identifier or the, it's got different names depending on how companies market it, but make sure that who you're dealing with has something that they can match, that that name matches a social security number. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once you've got the right person, what it's really accessing, and this freaks churches out, Okay, so don't misunderstand, they're pulling the top part of a credit report. Now people are, what, you're going to check my credit to paint faces at VBS? No, it's like, relax. <laughs> There's nothing about your financial history. It's just pulling where you've lived, your addresses and the names associated with that social. Because if you want to know where someone's lived, ask the people they owe money to. So once you get that piece of information, now you get aliases they've used. It's like when you mentioned earlier of running a search after someone had come to you and said, look, I've got a record, here's my explanation, and you'll find it. Oftentimes if it's, you know, Bob Smith, But the criminal record is under robert smith and you've sent him an online something to populate he populates it bob smith it won't match it unless your background check is checking aliases okay so the social security number identifier there's all the names associated with that person so you can know if you've got the right record if a person's lied to you about this is really my name and it's not then you have the it's called just a multi-jurisdictional database of course it's got a lot of different names it's the national search And different people will give it to like the Jack Bauer National Special, okay? It comes oftentimes with a marketing that it doesn't deserve, but it really is searching that great big vat of information that has billions of records in it and takes that name that that person has given you in the social and runs it through that vat to see if anything is pulled up. That's an imperfect system. It gets probably 40% of the records that are out there. Lots of ways for that to break down, but that is your typical search that people are paying anywhere from seven, eight, nine, ten dollars for. Okay. An identifier and that multi-jurisdictional database piece. That usually also brings in the sex offender registry. What we tell people is, yeah, that's your that's your baseline search. If you just don't have the budget and all that person is doing is painting faces at VBS, that's that they're a highly supervised, low intensity of role in that program then maybe you can do that for that 30 people that you're only going to use for four days a year between 8 a.m. and noon. Your youth pastor, that's a deeper search. You can't be wrong because yes. they have a lot of unsupervised, unstructured time. Same with your children's pastor. So there's in a church, they need to understand who are my people that need a deeper search, get better information as to what it means to do a search. And once you get that person that knowing I need to do more than the face painter search, Get your county of residence. I would love to see you do a county on every place that person has ever, learned, ever lived because the county record, once again, that's your best chance to get the records related to this particular crime.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Josh, tell us our featured resource for today.
2: Well, uh, since we have Gregory Love uh, on the podcast, we're going to make Ministry Safe our featured resource. Ministry Safe has a mission of protecting children and those who serve them. It was created by legal professionals who are sexual abuse experts. After decades of litigating sexual abuse cases, Gregory Love and Kimberly Norris founded Ministry Safe to help ministries meet legal standards of care and reduce the risk of sexual abuse by creating preventative measures tailored to fit the needs of churches and ministry programs. With over 50 years combined experience in sexual abuse litigation, consultation, and crisis management, Love and Norris understand the risk of sexual abuse and how it unfolds in children's programming. Since Ministry Safe's inception, more than 16,000 organizations have trained over 1 million staff members and volunteers on six continents in various languages. On average, Ministry Safe trains 25,000 to 30,000 people a month, live and online. Their mission is to prevent child sexual abuse in all ministry contexts, and at Ministry Safe, they can help you protect children and those who serve them. That's a fantastic resource.
1: Let's go ahead and get back to the interview.
0: Now, if you want to add another piece of fruit to your fruit salad, that's like you mentioned, the federal search, that's going to give you your component as it relates to child sexual abuse, your child porn distribution or consumption. Okay. So you put in pieces of fruit based upon your budget and the level or role that person plays in your program. So That was a long answer to your short question. The short answer to your question is evaluate the people that are on your team wearing your name tag, paid or unpaid. What tier or what category should you put them in? Maybe two or three different categories of different types of depth of background check given the role of that person. And then spend the extra money on the people you can't be wrong about. And the extra money is usually on your county searches and your federal. Wow.
2: Okay, that's a lot of information for churches, but it's all very, very accurate and things that churches need to pay attention to um, in in making sure that we get get good data. Now, one of the questions that I get uh, somewhat frequently is, uh, "Hey, we uh, we ran this background check and something came up. What do we do now?" Uh, and, And I have yet to find a church that understood that when you have a a background check that you're going to base a hiring decision or even a volunteer decision on that the person that you're going to say, I'm sorry, you can't work here. You can't volunteer here has certain rights under the fair credit reporting act. Uh, How frequently do you get questions about that? And and what are some things churches need to look at on that?
0: Um, We do a training actually that's called skillful screening training. Okay. It's the idea that churches need to screen and a background check is a part of your screening. But once again, you're gathering information about this person's, Past history or past behavior to make it an understanding and a judgment on what might be foreseeable in their future behavior. Now, in the church, there are some statistics I want to throw at you. Mm -hmm. Like in the construction business, the hit rate or a rate where you'll get a report back that has something reportable on it, it's about 40%. Okay. In the truck driving industry, it's about 26 or 27%. It's pretty high. Okay. In the churches, the hit rate is about six to 7%. Right, so in church communities of people that want to serve and, and get involved in churches, generally, you're talking about a population of people that just don't have the same percentage or heightened you know, possibility of having a criminal record. Mm-hmm. In combination with the fact that most churches are doing the cheapest search possible and are not doing the aliases, I mean, they're, they're just running a, a very poor check because they either don't know or they don't have the budget. Most of the records the church gets back is no records found. All right? Yep. It doesn't mean that no records exist. That just means of the parameters you gave and the money you spent, no records were found. All right. But every now and then, you do get a hit. And there is some instruction that we provide in that skillful screen train that goes in far more depth and breadth. But the big idea is churches need to start with the understanding that serving in my church is a privilege, not a right. Yep. Okay? Like just because I have time and I'm wanting to volunteer doesn't mean you automatically get a role here. We've got to use our judgment because we are shepherds and we gather sheep in a pen. Okay? Our responsibility as shepherds is not just to shepherd them, but to protect them. Okay? So my goal in my screening, which includes my criminal background check, nobody is allowed into my sheep pen unless I do some due diligence to determine you don't have any wolf-like qualities. Yep. Okay? I don't want to know you're a wolf by seeing you eat one of my sheep. Okay, so when somebody does get a hit, now what you're looking for is, is there anything in that hit that would give you any indication that it is foreseeable somebody might hurt somebody else? So if you pull somebody up and they've got two theft by checks that are 13 years old, don't hire them as your administrator or your bake sale coordinator. I mean, you're, you're understanding that person has some financial, you know, now it's a long time ago. All right. What you're looking for are offenses that might give you an indication that somebody's at risk. As it relates to child sexual abuse, what we're also looking for are what are called stair-step offenses or plea down offenses. Mm-hmm. If somebody has an aggravated child sexual assault, you don't hire them, no matter what the story is. Okay. But if somebody has, say, a charge for indecency, that's the most common one we get, Josh. Mm -hmm. someone calls me and says, look, we got a guy who says the charge on here is indecency. And I said, no, don't tell me. He said he was peeing. Like, how'd you know that? Okay, they're always peeing. But actually, they're never peeing. Because what we tell people is when you get these certain hits, voyeurism, exhibitionism, assault, anything related to a child, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, um, there's this category of offenses that are your red flags. OK, you do not ever accept self-reported explanations for those type of offenses. OK, because the person will be uh, charged with aggravated child sexual assault, but oftentimes they'll be allowed to plea down to assault. They're doing everything they can to not plead to a registration offense. Right. Once they're a registered sex offender, life changes dramatically. So that person will get a plea down offense from aggravated child sexual assault to indecency and then they'll give you an explanation for how they were peeing behind a tree and didn't see a cop there okay in that instance you can still be loving and professional and not just say hey those lawyers josh and greg told me you weren't really peeing okay what we really do is just professionally shift it back to your applicant okay if you get one of those charges and that person has a really good story if it's aggravated sexual assault don't hire them OK, if it's domestic violence, probably not a good idea to hire. Right? If it's assault, that's a common plea down offense from child sexual assault. And they'll tell you about a bar fight or something stupid they were doing in college. Professionally tell them, that, wow, that's that's an unfortunate circumstance. Tell you what, let's put this process on hold and please bring me the arrest record. OK, yep. what's in, what's in the arrest record? Okay, It's what the officer actually saw that gave rise to what got this process kicked off. In that situation, they can get records on themselves that you can't get, nor should you spend the money and the time to go get them if you're in one of those categories. Shift that responsibility to your applicant. In every situation where we've had a red flag offense and we've told somebody, wow, that's a bummer, didn't see that cop when you were, okay, go get me that arrest record and then let's pick up the process. They've never come back. Okay. Yep. So it's just oftentimes you'll get no records found, but when you do get that hit, just be sensitive to any charge you don't understand what it is, any charge that involves harm to another person, whether it's a child or an adult, or anything that involves nudity or sexual activity, you know, pornography, especially child pornography, mm-hmm. voyeurism, exhibitionism, contributing to the delinquency of a minor just have those red flags ready to go. And yeah. probably give, give Josh a call, give me a call, you know, because that's something you're going to need to navigate. Well, you're not going to get those hits very often. But when you do, those are the ones we cannot, cannot muff those.
2: Right. That's exactly right. You know, you've used the word process a whole lot. And we've certainly talked about uh, and certainly established at this point that a background check is not enough. But We're going to have the listeners wait until the next episode to hear what uh, is enough, and we will pick it up then. Greg, thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. You bet, man. Thank you.
1: You know, we mentioned in the beginning, Josh, about how important this topic was. Uh, What are kind of your final thoughts after that interview?
2: You know, I loved uh, the analogy uh, that, uh, that Gregory drew between building the walls and building the proper fence. Four percent is not good enough, uh, and when when we uh, use background checks as kind of the check-the-box mentality and how we protect children, um, when only four percent of offenders will be caught and stopped by a background check, that cannot be enough. We, we can't stop there. We can't put ourselves in a position where we're building a barbed wire fence to stop a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. We've got to build Better defenses and better walls, and so I loved that. You know, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the the. Well, I'm not dating myself too much. The the iRobot movie, oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he uh, kept saying over and over again, "I'm sorry, that is not the right question. I'm sorry, that's not the right question." Until he gets to the end, that is the right question. We've got to ask the right questions. We've got to look for the right things. Uh, And I'm really excited as we head into next week. Uh, where we'll be talking more specifically about how to look for those right things. And so you're going to want to make sure you check back. And listen, if you need some sample policies and sample procedures in terms of how we protect children, go to churchgeneralcouncil.com backslash 10CIC. CIC, like churches in court. churchgeneralcouncil.com backslash 10CIC. And you're going to have access to to several different pieces of free content there and free samples uh, that you can use in your church to, uh, to to start rebuilding some of these walls. And again, we need people and we need church leaders hearing this content and hearing what Gregory Love has to say. So if you would. Take some time, like this, uh, th- this, this podcast and this particular episode on, on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or whatever uh, podcasting app you're using. Take some time, review the podcast, subscribe to it, share it on your social media channels. It is really important that people hear what uh, this, this content has to say.
1: So, Josh, tell me a little bit about what you guys have going on right now at Church General Counsel.
2: Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about our Church Esquire Club membership. This is completely free, uh, and it is a Facebook group that you can join where you're going to get access to some free legal forms. Uh, there'll be some tips that you'll get there that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, th- these uh, forms, these are things that are commonly used and just c- frequently asked questions, things that come up. You'll get access to all of that. You're going to get access to a free monthly interactive Facebook live chat uh, where we'll pick a topic and you can jump on Facebook live and we're just going to uh, talk through that and I'll be able to answer questions and and so forth. Uh, And you know what? Since lawyers uh, are the most made fun of profession in the world, uh, we'll post a few uh, clean, funny lawyer jokes as well. So go check that out. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash Church Esquire, or you can just uh, search the Church Esquire Club on Facebook.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links, everything is available for you there.
2: And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club, all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will
1: see you next week.